right. Good morning, church. Amazing songs. How about that? The choir is fantastic today. It's so wonderful to have an international Sunday. I'm used to a service where it's at least three different languages minimum every Sunday. So moving to Pittsburgh, I mean, I got bored with only English. You know, it's wonderful to see all the work that God's been doing in the churches across the world. It's so inspiring. My name is Chris. Um, and in case you haven't guessed, I'm international. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit about myself, I'm a grad student uh, at Duquesne University, and I study computer science because I think it's awesome. Um, I moved here from Bangalore, India, and believe it or not, it, it's going to be one month next year. I mean, one month next month. No, one year next month. <laughs> since I moved here. We got there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it already feels like I've been here forever. Um, I've experienced my first autumn, and it really is beautiful when the leaves change color. Wow. And pumpkin spice, big fan. Um, I grew up in this church. I'm a kingdom kid through and through. That is my family that you see there. Um, my dad uh, was, went to London for school, and that's where he got introduced to our group of churches, and he said, this is awesome, and he gave up his career and decided to, uh, it was his dream to go back and bring God to his hometown in Sri Lanka, because he's Sri Lankan. And there wasn't a mission team or enough people at that time because our group of churches was quite young and new 30 years ago. Um, and so they had, he had to do it via India. And in India is where he met my mom, and they got married. And then she said, I share your dream. I will come to Sri Lanka with you. And then they went, and I grew up in Sri Lanka. Uh, and they led the church there for 13 years where my sister was born. And also is where uh, the Samuels, who are now in Malaysia, were part of the mission team in Sri Lanka. And that is the family that Sam Fowler stayed with. Um, and they were my babysitters. They, were, <laughs> they watched me grow up. I grew up with their kids. I'm friends with their sons. They have three wonderful young sons. Oh, not young anymore. Um, and it's amazing to see how connected we all are. Um, I moved around a lot uh, when I was younger, um, and so because of which I got to be a part of many different churches. Um, I became a disciple uh, in India. Uh, when my parents moved, uh, they decided to move to India because of the war and everything in Sri Lanka. Um, and I was 19 years old in the campus ministry, and I decided I needed to make the Lord, Jesus Christ, my Savior, and I decided to get baptized in the campus ministry, and it's been a wonderful journey ever since. It's wonderful to see you all today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if it's your first time, I hope you'll be inspired by the Word of God as we read. That is the campus ministry in Bangalore. Uh, that is all 80, 100 of us um, divided into um, four sections, the north, south, east, and central. There's no west. Um, and that is my group uh, that I was a part of for, I think, 10 or 11 years. I got baptized in the campus ministry, and I never left. 
<laughs> just stayed there forever until I was the only one. <laughs> um, we started, uh, the, when I first moved there, um, the group was like 50 odd members and it was so challenging, uh, you know, for some of y'all. If you've gone to a meeting where only three people or four people show up, it can be super discouraging. But through perseverance, God has blessed this group over the years. And when I left, it was like 25, 30 people. We were flooded. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that's the most recent picture. It was right before I left, and I missed them all so much. And I know some of them are going to be watching this. Um, so today, uh, we have the opportunity to look at Revelations chapter 7. Signed, sealed, and delivered is the title of the sermon. It is a privilege to speak with you all this morning. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, Revelations chapter 7 was not an easy book to prepare. I do not know how James does this every Sunday. He makes it look easy. It is not. It is confusing. So let's pray before we begin. Dear God, thank you so much. Thank you for this time that we're all able to just be here together, Lord, and have this wonderful international service this Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for just the, wor the way that you've been working in each and every one of our lives, Lord. You, we are all connected because of you. We are all together. We are all here because of you, Lord. Without you, we are just hopeless, Lord. It is you who picked us out of the pit and saved us and gave us hope and gave us a future. And thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to learn from your passage this morning. I pray, Lord, that you please be with me. Um, and use me in a powerful way that I would speak the words from your scripture and that uh, it would be exactly what you want me to say um, and that we would all be in awe and inspired by your word, Lord. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So, Revelations. There is a lot going on. Um, it's a, a bit hard to keep track, so I thought let's do a little recap of what we covered so far. Um, it seems like utter chaos at first, um, but then I was preparing this, like this whole week, I was just like, what is happening? What is happening? And then yesterday, last night, very late, there was like this boom, like this moment of clarity where everything connected. And then I was just like, wow. <laughs> okay, God, this makes sense. Okay, so there are repeating patterns in the book of Revelations. And we start, uh, for a frame of reference, we start with the throne room because that's the most iconic passage and we all can really connect to it. So in Revelations 4, uh, we stand, in the, we are introduced to the throne room of God. There are the elders and uh, everyone's surrounded and John sees and everyone's crying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, that there was thunder and lightning um, and the heavenly choir, chorus going on in the background. And... Um, and John's standing there, and he's witnessing all of this. And then, um, in the midst of all of this, there is a scroll in God's hand. And this scroll has seven seals on it. So this starts the next seven the three cycles of seven. We have the seven seals, and then we have the seven trumpets. And after the seven trumpets, we have the seven bowls. <laughs> Um, and the, and it's, all, it's all stacked in the sense that the seventh seal starts the first trumpet. And the seventh trumpet starts the first bowl. And there is a pause between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. There is a pause between the seventh trumpet, the sixth trumpet, 
and the seventh trumpet. There is no pause between the sixth bowl and the seventh bowl. Interesting. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so we start with the seven seals in God's hand, okay? And, um, and obviously there's a scroll and it's sealed with seven seals and you're very interested to see what's in it. Um, but there's a problem. No one could open the scroll. And so John's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing and everything's so awesome. And he started weeping like no one could open the scrolls. Who? Who could open the scrolls? And then they see, then John hears, there was someone. Who is it? It was the Lion of Judah. The Root of David was the one who could open the seal on the scroll. And with this, we get this imagery of this wonderful and mighty warrior, this conqueror who would reign and a powerful king. And who comes up instead? A slain lamb, looking fresh as if it was just slain with the blood still on it. A sacrificed lamb is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. This is the one who was worthy to break open the scrolls. Now the judgment begins, and we start the first cycle of seven. Okay. Revelation 7, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, is the first interlude. So he starts opening the scroll and the seals one by one. The first seal released the conqueror. The second seal, war. The third seal, famine. The fourth seal, death. The four horsemen. The fifth seal opened up the martyrs, those who had been slaughtered because of their faith and their testimony. And these martyrs were crying, how long, O oh God, how long were we supposed to wait? And then they were given a white robe, and God told them, wait just a little bit longer. Wait until the full number of servants, their brothers and sisters, were yet to be killed, just as they had been. And then the lamb opens the sixth seal, which is terror. So we can't directly start in Revelation 7. We need to go back a little bit because it's all connected. So we start with Revelation chapter 6, the last little bit, verse 12 to 17. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So judgment has begun, and the scroll has the seal has been opened, and is terror, and the people of the earth are all screaming and crying, fallen as hide us from the face of the Lamb, from the face of him who sits on the throne. Who can survive this? And then just when all hope seems lost, Revelation chapter seven. Verse 1 to 3. After this, I saw four angels standing back, standing at the four corners of the earth. 
holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. God starts his judgment, and then he says, wait. What? You start the judgment, and then there's a pause? Why hold back judgment right after you start? Right? What do we think this pause means? That's what we're going to find out today. He says in verse 3, Do not harm the land or the sea until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. The judgment is paused until all of God's people are marked with the seal on their foreheads. God, in his infinite mercy and loving kindness, wants as many people to be saved as possible. The door to heaven was closing, and then he kind of props it open, holds it back, and says, get in, get in while you still can. He, he wants as many people to get saved as possible. And that we can, we can also clearly see that the pause, the interlude, is only a pause. Judgment isn't canceled. It's just paused just a little bit longer for people to get in, and then it would start. Okay? Has judgment already started? We don't know. We can't be certain. But looking at recent events and just the way things are going on in this world right now, doesn't it feel like the end days already? Um, I mean, even when COVID hit, I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. <laughs> the Lord has come. <laughs> so we don't know. We don't know if we're, we are in the age of judgment yet. But what do we know? We are in the age of God's grace. Amen. We are so privileged that we are chosen by God. We are so privileged that we are saved by faith and washed by his blood. We are his servants. We are his children. We do not have to fear the day of the Lamb's wrath. So Revelations the, uh, chapter uh, 7 verse 1 is kind of like an answer to the question that was asked at the end of Revelation 6, who can survive? Us. Right? So we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. We can be encouraged. We can be inspired that we are God's people. And we can get through that day of judgment. But who does have to fear? It's the countless people around us. The ones who are lost. The ones who don't know God then how important it is for us who have this truth to have this knowledge to share with those who don't have God, to save as many as we can while there's still time. You know? What does it mean to have a seal upon your forehead? You know, back in the olden days when we used to send letters, um, they were sealed with a wax seal, right? Maybe not that long ago. Um, in a different time, we used to send a seal with wax. <laughs> That meant something. The seal meant something. What did it mean? It signified who the owner of that letter was. That seal guaranteed protection to the contents of the letter. It prevented tampering. 
um, it gave the letter value. Because imagine, if you got a wax seal from the palace with that bore the king's signet ring on it, how special would that be? And you would look at it and you'd be like, whoa, you know, open it with shaking hands. And nobody along the way would dare mess with it because it was the royal seal, the royal emblem, and it's special. In the same way, you and I are sealed and marked by God. It means that we are under his protection. It means that we are under his ownership. It gives us value because without God, by ourselves, what are we? We're objects of wrath. We have no hope. We have no future. But because of God, we are saved by his grace. Because of his protection, we have value, right? The seal gives us protection for our souls. Our physical bodies may suffer on this earth. We can be beaten. We can be maimed. We can be destroyed. We can suffer for our faith. But nothing can harm our souls. Because being sealed by God guarantees protection for our soul. There's a connection here to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where it talks about when we get baptized, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are marked by the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection uh, to that passage also. There's another interesting connection to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 8. It reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. And we are talking about generations. We can see that generational connection here too. We're supposed to share our faith, impress them upon our children. God marks his servants on their foreheads. This seal is the exact opposite to the seal of the beast who marks his people too. So these marks place people into two categories. Those that belong to God with God's seal. Those that belong to Satan with Satan's seal. Sounds really scary but this is very encouraging. What is encouraging? The encouragement is that no matter what happens, the people sealed by God will not fall away. The people sealed by God will hold true, will hold firm until the very end, even under intense persecution. Revelations talks about a little bit later about the great trial, the great tribulation. Nothing like we've ever seen before. Something will come, and it will test us. But those who are sealed will stand true, will hold firm. We will not fall away. How amazing is that? You know? And now I'm curious, who are these wonderful, amazing, inspiring people that were going to bear God's seal? Let's find out. Verse 4. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. 
as with the as is most the case with Revelation. This is not a literal 144,000. It is a symbolic number, right? What does this symbolic number mean? The 12,000 is uh, the 144,000 is supposed to represent fullness, completeness. The 12 tribes of Israel, 12 full from the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 into thousand. Thousand, a full number, a big number. So 12 into 12 into thousand, a full number, right? That's what it kind of represents. And so just like before, there's an interesting imagery that is drawn here. So let's go back to the throne room for a little bit. John hears the Old Testament title. He hears the, wor- the one who is worthy to open the, sc- uh, the scroll, the seals, is the Lion of Judah. But he turns and he sees what came up was a slain lamb. A New Testament title, the Lamb Slain. So there's a difference with what he expected versus what came up, what he heard and what he saw. He expected the Old Testament fulfillment, but what he saw was a New Testament fulfillment. So in the same way, John hears the 144,000, the sealed sons of Israel. The Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people, right? But in the New Testament, it was Jews and Gentiles and everyone else. And so this is where different schools different schools of thought come up. Some people think, no, this is just only Jews, only Israel. But I'm afraid I go with the latter. I think it's all of us because it just, the imagery just fits, right? When God uh, reached out through Paul, he reached out and opened the doors of heaven to all of us, right? And so he turns and sees, instead of what he expected was 144,000 Jews, he sees a great multitude of something else. What did he see? Chapter, uh, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Wow. 144,000, a great multitude, a full number. So I will not refer to 144,000 anymore because what it means is the full number. So that's what I'm going to call it instead. The full number, the maximum amount of people that were going to be saved. Okay? You know what else it means? No one is missing. No one is missing. So like I shared earlier, um, I moved here December last year in the middle of winter. It was one of the hardest things that I have ever done in my entire life. It was really cold. Um, There were some big changes going on in my life and I felt like I needed something. Um, And so I decided to go back to school and come 
Um, I have never lived away from my family before. Um, so this was like the first time without them. And it was really unsettling. I always thought, oh, it's great. It's cool to be on your own, like independent. I'm like, it's not that great. Uh, 24 hours after I landed, um, I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I need to go back. I called my mother and I said, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to come right back. Um, I'll cancel school. Uh, I'll try to find a job again. Book my flight tickets. And my mom looks at me and she's like, are you crazy? <laughs> no, we told everyone. You can't come back. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you have to stick this out. <laughs> um, but really, I, I, I didn't want to be here anymore. It was not what I thought it would be. Um, and I was in a foreign place. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have friends yet. I do now. Uh, people had a very hard time understanding me. Because um, uh, just generally speaking, uh, y'all don't deal well with other accents. So uh, I had to speak a little differently, fashion and accent, <laughs> uh, because saying everything twice got old really fast. It got old real fast. So for the purposes of communication, I acquired an American accent. Everything was so alien. Everything was so foreign. You even drive on the wrong side of the road. Uh, just <laughs> um, so I was like feeling very out of place and not wanting to be here anymore. But then something happened. That next first Sunday after I moved, I walked in a church. And then all of a sudden, everything made sense. It's like, oh, yeah, this is where I belong. These are disciples. I can do this. I was with the family of God. I was with my people and I wasn't a stranger anymore. You know? And it's not just words. It's real. Because of my mixed upbringing, I've had the opportunity of going to many other churches. Um, I've uh, had the opportunity to witness our church in Malaysia and Indonesia and I didn't know before I had the Pittsburgh connection um, that, uh, uh, the that you guys were supporting Malaysia. And I have to say, that church is wonderful. They're doing great. Their technology was awesome. I was super jealous of their tech. Um, um, and the disciples are thriving. They are dedicated. They have a wonderful campus ministry. And they took very good care of me while I was there. I stayed with the Samuels, who, uh, again, mom, big family connection. My mom and Angeline were, like, really good friends. And my dad and um, Andrew were also really great friends. Um, so, wherever I went, I can tell you one thing, the disciples are the same, even here. Somehow, you're not with strangers anymore. And it's not just words. Disciples on the other side of the world, all around us, we all have the same problems. You cannot leave fellowship without saying bye to the same person at least like 10 times, you know, <laughs> between here and getting out the door. Disciples, wherever we go, we are the loudest people in the room. We stop traffic. For some reason, when we're together, we cannot cross the street. And we, we create big problems on the, you know, on the roads. Um, disciples do not have boundaries in a good way. We don't have boundaries. Um, my, and 
So the thing is, when I went to Malaysia, I went for a conference that they were having, and one of my, um, the people that I work with, one of the person, um, this guy who was a non-disciple um, and not um, in any way uh, Christian, he said, I want to come with you because I want a vacation. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to a conference. I hope you know that. You will be required to attend the conference. And then he said, that's fine, I'll sit with you. Um, and so he was <laughs> along with me for the journey, and he was looking at our church, and he was looking at our people, and, he's, and then he like, spoke to me pr later, privately. Um, he was saying, Chris, you're so fake. You're like fake with all of these disciples. How, you don't even know these people. How are you talking to them as if you've known them for years? Um, and even the other day, he was uh, so confused by this puzzle, like this thing, like, how are you so united? How are you not strangers? How are you so comfortable with each other, even though you haven't met uh, anyone, of, any, anyone before? And he even, he even asked this other sister during one of the fellowships in the conference. And then she looks at him, and then she looks at me, and she says, we're not strangers. He's my little brother. <laughs> You know, somehow, because we are all united by the same faith, because we all worship the same God, we are one family, and we're not strangers. And at, it was at this moment, my brain just exploded, like everything made sense. Because Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, what does it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Um, everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of togetherness. There's a sense of joy and wonder to be God's people. We are not strangers. We are family, right? Why, just last week, um, I was at the Fowler's household, and um, they're wonderful hosts. I just walked in like I owned the place, you know? <laughs> Um, I went into their kitchen and I started cooking. Forget that it was the first time. I started cooking as if I've been doing it for years. And it wasn't even weird. Yeah. Um, and we came in at 5 p.m. And I, we definitely overstayed our welcome because we stayed way past midnight. Um, it was way too late by the time. And it was Sunday, so people had to go to work on Monday. But we didn't care. We were there. And we were just enjoying fellowship, togetherness, and community. And these are some of the wonderful connections, wonderful privileges that we have because we are God's people, because we are united by his spirit. So Pittsburgh Church, I have some hard-hitting questions for you this morning. Are you ready? Okay. We have all these wonderful things, this wonderful community, this love that we share, and this togetherness. What about the people who don't have this? When was the last time you shared your faith with someone from a different culture? With someone who didn't speak the same language? When was the last time that you tried to reach out to someone who was lost and searching and didn't know what to do with their lives? When was the last time we tried to build a connection? 
Not just hi, bye, come to our church, come to our Bible talk, but connect, get to know their story, hear their life experiences. You know? Sometimes it doesn't, it even people who are not Christians, it's, it, they live so differently from disciples that it's almost as if they were a different culture. So, uh, and another amazing thing about living in Pittsburgh is that we have all nations right here. Yeah. We don't even have to go too far to search for someone. Okay. Um, we see, again, in this passage, um, the great multitude, every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. This is what God's people are supposed to look like. This is what scripture says. We aren't supposed to speak the same language. We are not supposed to be from the same nation. We're not supposed to be the same tribe and people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different, but united in our love for God. God is praised when with one voice we all cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Where God is praised because despite all of our differences, guess what? We have everything in common, right? Which bring, brings us to a reference of Matthew 28, verse 18, the Great Commission. We are called to reach out to every tribe, every nation, every people. Teach them, baptize them, share what you have, share what you found, the good news, the hope, right? Even here in Revelation, it's the end days. The judgment has begun. God pauses his judgment, and he's still saying he's giving time to go reach out, right? It, even at this point, there's still no plan B. It's still the same plan. It's still the same great commission. It's still God working in partnership with us to reach out to seek and save the lost, it's still the same plan. We're it. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, we do not have much time. That pause is only a pause. How much more, with greater urgency, do we need to share our faith so that we can keep adding to the number of those who are being saved? So, let's look at the last little bit. Revelations chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And then he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So as we, we can transition into communion. It's great being part of God's chosen people. But God's chosen people aren't exempt from challenges. We are saved, but we still have trials. And here we can see in verse 14, there's a great tribulation. So because God's people will refuse to submit to a false god, we will refuse to give allegiance to any other power, we would have been thirsty because we wouldn't have been able to get food. 
we wouldn't have been able to get water because the water is polluted by blood. Um, and we would have suffered because of our faith. And God would wipe away every tear. Okay. Being sealed with God also means that we don't look back. When I moved here, in some respects, I wanted to find myself. I didn't know what to do with my life anymore. Um, I felt like I hit a, like a plateau. Um, and something had to change. I needed a direction, something to aim towards. And I thought, okay, let me just move and see what happens. You know, see how it goes. Um, one of the advantages of moving to a new city or a place where no one knows you is that you get to disappear. Um, I could live my life any way I wanted, one foot in the door and one foot out. Um, and no one would find out, right? I could not fully live that covenantal relationship with God that I dedicated myself to. Sometimes we can also live the same way. We don't fully appreciate the love of God and Jesus' sacrifice for us. Then it becomes hard for us to hold on to when during times of temptation, during times of trials, because when we then we don't value what we have. Right? It would be so easy to give up. It would be so easy to just throw away the sacrifice of the lamb and just disregard everything. But brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to hold on. Are you living your life with one foot out the door? Are you just, um, what do you say, what's the word? Putting half the effort into our relationship with God? Kind of testing the waters to see if I can go back? I would encourage you to go on and hold, go all in for Jesus. And if you're feeling weary, and if you're tired and you're like, I just can't do this anymore. The trials, being faithful, I don't get it. It's just too hard. Well, the same encouragement is given to the martyrs of the faith. Hold on just a little bit longer. God is coming soon. Hold on. And the martyrs who are groaning, uh, we all waiting for that day when God would come and save us. And the, the encouragement is hold on because the tear that God wipes away would be the last tear that you would ever cry. Hold on for that. Wait. Amen. And if you haven't been sealed with God yet, if you've been visiting or if this is the first time that you've been here, I would encourage you to maybe ask someone to share scriptures with you to get to know this great and wonderful God. And if um, you're a kingdom kid and you're just thinking, um, you know, is this for me? Is this life with God worth it? It is. And I would encourage you to, to kind of go with greater urgency to pursue this great and wonderful and loving God and just this amazing family that we are a part of. Amen? And we would just love to share our faith with you. So we'll pray before we take the communion. Dear God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice, for coming down on earth, Lord, and just choosing to live and be like one of us, Lord. Thank you for just giving up the riches of heaven and, 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 and just, you know, being one of us and suffering just like we suffer and showing us, Lord, that it is possible to live a life of sacrifice, that it is possible to deny ourselves and, and 
pursue holiness in this world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we've been encouraged by scripture this morning, encouraged by your sacrifice, that we can be washed clean, that we have hope, we have future, and we have this great family and this wonderful inheritance that we are a part of because of you, because of the blessing that you have given us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would, that this would strengthen us, Lord, and that it would give us uh, courage to stand firm through trials, to stand firm through temptation, and to not give in, no matter how tempting it may be, no matter how, how wonderful and alluring sin may seem, Lord, but that we would stay true. And even during the great trial and the great tribulation, that we would stay strong and stand firm in your faith because we know who you are. We know you're our God and we know how wonderful and mighty you are. And I pray, Lord, that we'd also be encouraged with this sense of urgency to reach out to those who don't know about you yet, members of our family who are still suffering, who are crying and searching for a way out, searching for meaning in their lives, Lord. I pray that you would use us powerfully to reach out to these people. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.